All right. Do me a favor and open up the Bible that you brought with you, or the Pew Bible that's there, to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and that's in the Pew Bible, page 467. Open up those Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Because with the coming of this Labor Day weekend, as another summer draws to a close, so too comes the end of our time reflecting on our life under the sun through the book of Ecclesiastes. King Solomon's extended reflection on the meaning and purpose of our existence has had, at least for me, a surprising contemporary relevance. Some 3,000 years, think about that, some 3,000 years after he wrote these words, it is apparent that our questions, our frustrations, our observations about the human condition haven't changed all that much. And if you haven't been with us this summer, or maybe you've been intermittently here, to briefly recap the book of Ecclesiastes thus far. Life under the sun, S-U-N, is empty. More specifically, according to Solomon, life lived apart from God is empty and ultimately meaningless. To live in this world with all its troubles, to endure a life that ends as it always does in death, if that's all there is, then life is a bad, cruel, cosmic joke. And yet Solomon exhaustively and honestly explores all the avenues by which we seek to dig ourselves out of this meaninglessness. Pleasure, work, wealth, education, reputation, family, friends, and again, throughout Ecclesiastes, none of these things, none of them are wrong or meaningless in and of themselves. For Solomon, it's only when we pursue them wrongly as substitutes for a life centered around our devotion to God and his purposes that each and every one comes up empty. That, in brief, is the book of Ecclesiastes thus far. And now, with the backdrop of his grand experiment in view, Solomon, for us today, presents the summation of his case. Our text for today is 11, chapter 11, verse 7, all the way to the end. But we're going to just read from chapter 12, starting in verse 1. If you have those Bibles open, hear the words of Solomon. He writes, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come. And the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop. When the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through windows grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire is no longer stirred. Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. 
Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And this is the end of Ecclesiastes. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Keep those Bibles open. Don't close them because we're going to be going back and forth in there. Things I want you to see. Okay, Solomon concludes his entire writing, driving home one central point. I briefly tried to summarize the book of Ecclesiastes, but in other words, Solomon says if you want to break it down to a single sentence, here it is. He specifically tells us the conclusion of it all is fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God. Something that he's been saying throughout the whole book. But again, if we're not familiar with the Bible's connotation of this word, especially as Solomon uses it here, to fear God is not to cower. It's not to, to run and hide from our creator as if we could. Fearing God means knowing who God is and where we stand in relation to him. It means taking the Lord seriously, realizing the greatness and wonder of God. It means acknowledging God as the highest good in our lives. The best discovery Solomon argues we can make is that we exist for God's glory. The best way then to live, Solomon concludes, is for us to orient our lives around God, to make the enjoyment of God's glory, God's desires, God's will, God's intentions for us, and this world, our priority. In fact, Solomon believes this so strongly. Did you catch it? If you have those Bibles open, you might still see it. He believes in this so strongly that he tells us to let this Copernican revolution where our lives become centered around God and the enjoyment of God's glory, he tells us, let that happen sooner rather than later. Sooner rather than later. In the last half of chapter 11 and in the first eight verses of chapter 12, if those Bibles are open, Solomon exhorts us to remember your creator in the days of your youth. The connotation of this word remember here is more than just to recall or bring to mind. The appeal by Solomon here is to pay attention, to consider with the intent of obeying. In other words, when Solomon says, remember your creator, it's his expression of Matthew 6, 33, when Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. But again, Bible's open. Notice Solomon adds a specific time of life in which we are to pay attention to God, to acknowledge the Lord of all creation when one is young. Throughout his reflections, 
in this book, Solomon has repeatedly pointed out to us that life is short, very short. It is like a vapor. It's like a breath that lasts for a moment and then is gone. We are mortal. In the span of history, one's life, one's days on this earth are few indeed. Our time is brief, Solomon says. And added to this, Solomon is also told, taken us through Ecclesiastes and said, life is not only brief, but life is unpredictable and mysterious. No one knows but our creator what our immediate future holds. We can't, we can't take tomorrow or the next day for granted. Here in the same verse, Solomon tells us in chapter 12, he cautions us, the days of trouble will come. And earlier in chapter 11, if you have your Bible, just go a couple of verses back and you'll see him also advise, remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Solomon's pointing out what we know all too well. We live in a fallen, broken world. Yes, we are here. We gather together because we believe it is in the process of being redeemed, reconciled, and restored by Jesus. But beloved, we are still living between the resurrection and the return of Christ. Injustice, oppression, and evil still surround us. Sin, death, and the devil are ultimately fighting a losing battle, but they are fighting nonetheless, refusing to admit defeat and leaving the heartache of addiction, violence, and chaos in their wake. Solomon says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. He gives us a macro view. Look at the, what's going on. But then he also gets into a much smaller, more intimate micro view. Even more than this, Solomon beckons us not to delay, not to wait because of what is right in front of us, staring back at us, in fact, in the mirror every day. Pay attention. Acknowledge God now. Don't wait, Solomon writes. Do it sooner rather than later because here it is. You're not getting any younger. You're not getting any younger. If you have those Bibles open, and as you were hearing me read in chapter 12, it might have been a little weird. What's Solomon talking about in those first eight verses? But you see what he's doing there, and you can look at it as I talk about it. He's underscoring this idea. He's giving us a beautiful and poignant description of what it's like to get older. And if you see it there, what he's bringing out very poetically is that one day, First, our eyesight will diminish as everything grows dark and dim. Our bodies will be like a decaying old house that weakly trembles as it collapses in on itself. Our teeth will decay and fall out, the grinders. Our hearing will fail as sounds fade. A restful night's sleep will not come as easily. Is this hitting too close to home for anybody yet? We'll become more fearful of falling and tentative as we walk about. Like a blossoming tree, our hair will change color from gray to white and then fall out. Like a grasshopper, our movement will be slow and awkward. We'll feel like we're just dragging ourselves around until eventually our bodies will surrender their spirit and pass away into dust. Pretty brutal, huh? That's why Solomon goes, meaningless, meaningless, his repeated mantra. And again, one more time, hear it if you've missed it throughout this series. Solomon isn't saying life is without meaning or purpose. This word is so 
intricate, so has such depth that we can't capture in English. You probably would be better hearing Solomon say after all of this, fleeting, fleeting. He's continually reminding us life goes quickly. Age takes hold of us by surprise. Therefore, remember your creator in the days of your youth. I look around this room and we got a good smattering of teenagers, young adults, maybe a couple of 20-somethings. Hear Solomon this morning. Sometimes you come to church and you think the Bible isn't speaking to you. Solomon is talking to you this morning. And he's saying something that you're probably not used to hearing. And here it is. Get ready for it. You're not getting any younger. Don't be tempted to assume you have your whole life in front of you. Solomon says, go back to chapter 11, around verse 7. Life is sweet. Solomon says it. But he also says in the same breath, it's very short. It's going to be over before you know it. You won't be young forever. It's true. Amen, man. I'm living this right now. I'm about to take my daughter to college. I can remember when I was going to college. What happened, man? What happened? I'm looking at you teenagers. I'm looking at you college students. I'm looking at you young adults, and I'm going, I'm not 45. That's me. But here's the thing. The mirror says, no, it ain't. And my teenager and college student go, no, you're not. <laughs> Seriously, teenagers, college students, 20-somethings, the young people in this room, don't turn around one day and wonder where all the years have gone. Solomon's talking to you. Don't indulge the temptation to think you can deal with God later that you've got plenty of time. You, you right now, and some of you are coming up on it, and that's why your parents maybe are holding on a little tighter. You are entering into a time when you're much more in tune with the wisdom of the world. And the wisdom of the world tells you, young people, go sow your wild oats when you're young. Voices, maybe they've started, will whisper. Doubts will start to come inside your mind and your heart and you will convince yourself to go ahead and forget your faith, to put your relationship with Christ on pause while you're in high school, while you finish college, while you start your career. Live it up. Have some fun. Do what feels good. Never mind if it's good for you or honors what God intended for you. It's your time, some will argue. You're just getting it out of your system. Others, maybe even your parents, will rationalize. Later, later when you settle down, maybe get married, have a family, buy a house, then you can be a respectable, upstanding citizen and think about God. Don't, don't accept what is the devil's bargain. Don't believe the lie that your independence from God comes without cost and without consequence. I recognize I'm facing probably a, a huge battle for any of you to hear what I'm saying. 
And the reason why I know this to be true is because when I was sitting where you're sitting, my response was, yeah, old man. You're just upset because you're not young like me. And that may be true. But it doesn't change the truth of what I'm saying. The holes we dig ourselves into can be very deep indeed. The bad habits, the deep scars, the hidden secrets, they pile up and they will become a burden. A burden that can hamper us when life becomes difficult. When, as Solomon describes it, the days of trouble come. I didn't do this in the last service, but I'm going to do it here, and I don't know how this is going to go. I may get lots of angry emails or texts. But those of you who are young in this room, maybe it's your parents, maybe it's someone in your family, maybe it's a friend, ask them if what I am saying, and not what I'm saying, what Solomon is saying, and no, no, not what Solomon's saying, what the Lord is saying is true. To be clear, and I really want you to hear this because it's not always that I may get your attention. Solomon is not commanding those of us who are young or any of us to live in fear of aging or in fear of death. He in fact says, and it's there, I think it's in chapter 11, it's a little up there, let, us, let your heart be glad in the days of your youth. He says, let your heart be glad in the days of your youth, but remember your creator when you're young. In other words, Solomon is saying, live for God before you get there. Center your life on your creator from your first days, not your last ones. Young people, worship the Lord now in the way you live and treat others. Honor, the, honor God through your, the care and respect of your body, your mind, your soul. Seek the Lord in the decisions you will make now about your education, about your friendships, about your career, about whom you will marry. Do it before you face the challenges of becoming an adult, a citizen, a spouse, a parent. Do it while your body and mind are still strong. Start living for God now, and you will learn now how to tap into the joy of the Lord. And that joy that you will tap into, that powerful relationship that you can have with God now, will remain and grow with you, and then that joy will remain even when your capacities, your energies, and your abilities have left you. That joy, that relationship will remain even when everything doesn't come easy anymore. Even when your career, your family, your health take unexpected turns. Right now, you feel invincible. You're not. You're not. None of us are. But if you seek your creator while you're young, your joy in that relationship with God as you age, instead of feeling betrayed, instead of believing now as you're older you're insignificant, instead of being haunted by your past, you will find strength and assurance for your future. Your life and your joy will remain full even when everything else in the mirror says you're depleted. Now, just to be clear, Solomon's words to the wise aren't just for young people. For the rest of us, and I don't know how to define that spectrum, for the rest of us, those of us who are on in our years, 
We might not be as young as we once were, but here's the thing, and it's Solomon's brought this home a couple of times. If you're still here, the day is yours, and the day is young, which means you still have time. Just don't live in denial. Just don't live in denial. Remember your creator while the day is young, and therefore you are young. Don't buy in to a culture that wants you to pretend you're ageless that wants you to contribute to the $88 billion a year we offer up to the gods of cosmetic surgery and magic pills to try to look younger and prevent aging. When you were young, you thought you were invincible. When you get older, you're convinced that there is some quick fix that will continue to make you so. You're just gonna look weird. Am I lying? <laughs> you're just going to look weird, and, and, I, and I'm including myself, you're going to look sad. Instead, instead of denying what is happening, that image in the mirror, let the brevity and uncertainty of life drive you to acknowledge, if you've never done it before, the author of life, the God who fearfully and wonderfully made you so that you can enjoy every opportunity that's before you. None of us, we don't know how much longer the Lord will give us, but here's the thing, that's why we're here. God can use even the shortest amount of time, even the briefest life, to make an eternal impact. When Solomon says, remember your creator when you're young, if you still have today, there's still time. Don't live in denial, but as I say, don't live in despair either. Yes, you're not what you once were. You're not what you once were. Yes, you've made mistakes. Maybe even wasted your youth. You're convinced it's too late. You're too old. By the way, what is too old? What age is too old? You're too old. You're too set in your ways. Beloved, it is never too late this side of eternity. It is never too late this side of eternity. Our God can take the fractured pieces of your life, your creaking bones, your frayed nerves, your dulled senses, and use them for his glory, giving you abundant life and joy for the rest of your days. Beloved, we, are in a, we worship a God who is in the business of reconciliation and restoration. You think it's too late for you? It's never too late with God. It is never too late with God. It is never too late to start with God, but we have to start. We don't have to live in fear. That's not the message of Ecclesiastes, but we do have to live with a sense of urgency. That is the message of Ecclesiastes. So whether you're young or old or middle-aged or everything in between, have you remembered your creator? Have you remembered your creator? Is God at the center of your universe? Your universe. Let's not debate the fact that it isn't your universe, but is God at the center of your universe? Are we delighting in the Lord? Enjoying God's presence, his power, his purpose for our lives. Beloved, the Lord doesn't just want us to grow old. 
Do you get it? God, our Father's desire is for us to grow up into our relationship with him. And the way we do that is the second part of Solomon's closing words to us. He tells us first, fear God. The second part is keep his commandments. Keep his commandments. This is what life is all about, Solomon says. But just to clarify, again, it's important, keeping the commandments, when Solomon says this, isn't just about following a checklist of rules. The commandments, the law of God, is the wisdom of God. It's teaching us how to live how to do right by God and by each other. God brought the people out of Egypt and the Israelites, when he gave them the commandments and the law, he wasn't giving them a list of things to do. He was teaching them how to live in relationship with him and how to live in relationship with each other. The commandments, the law of God is the wisdom of God. Jesus, when people are still fixated on the, well, what, which, which one's more important and which one do I have to make sure it gets checked off? Jesus says, look, the whole law can be summarized like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Love. Jesus, again, reflects the relational aspect of the commandments. To keep the commandments, as Solomon says it, is then to seek wisdom, the wisdom that comes from being in relationship with God. And Solomon, I love this. It's really got to me this week. Solomon, if you have your Bible open at the end of chapter 12, he paints a familiar picture of what this relationship with God looks like. The Lord, he writes, is our one shepherd. Who else is the one shepherd? He's, he's, re, re, he's resonating with Psalm 23 and John chapter 10. The Lord is our one shepherd. And as our shepherd, Solomon continues, God uses wisdom by, as the means by which he leads us into relationship with him. He uses wisdom as the means by which he leads us into a life of worship and obedience. Solomon says, God's revelation, the words of the wise are like goads, like firmly fixed nails. A goad is a long pointed stick a shepherd uses to drive the sheep along down the road. They're used to poke and prod the sheep when the flock is going in the wrong direction. It causes some pain, but it also protects them from wandering into danger, falling off a cliff, or getting taken by wolves. And the other illustration that Solomon gives here of wisdom, he says it's like wisdom, this wisdom is like firmly embedded nails. You shouldn't be picturing, we shouldn't be visualizing the kind of nails we use to hang something on a wall. No, that's not Solomon, what Solomon wants us to see. He wants us to imagine the large stakes we hammer into the ground to provide stability for a tent when the wind and the rains come. These are great pictures that help us to appreciate both our relationship with God as well as the practical function of wisdom, the Lord's wisdom in our lives. God, as our shepherd, prods us through his, the revelation of his wisdom in our lives. He prods us. Can we be honest? I mean, I think, I think I've heard this out on the patio, but Ecclesiastes has been a hard book, right? Right? I mean, I encountered three different people, different age groups, by the way, who, you know, they're, you know, always you get as a pastor, oh, what are we preaching on? What's happening this Sunday? And I go, oh, it's the last sermon on Ecclesiastes. All three of them visibly excited. <laughs> visibly excited. It's a hard book. It's a hard book because God has been, it's got a pokey feel to it, doesn't it? 
I mean, through this summer, God has been goading us in places where we may not want to be poked. But we need those sharp pricks of our conscience to go the right way, to avoid wandering off into dangerous territory or heading into a deep, dead end. But again, hold the two images, not just the stick, but the nails. You see, because godly wisdom isn't just momentary advice or a quick FYI. No, through all the goads and the prods, the Lord leads us in the right direction, but he's also seeking at the same time to anchor us in what is true, what is real, what is good. And so we're, that way we're grounded in what's good, what's real and true, no matter what is going on around us. You probably will notice this if you've been coming to Grace for a while, but I regularly, because it's what the Bible says, it's what God puts a, says to us, I regularly encourage us, push us to be in God's word. This. And here, Solomon gives us a great, simple way of evaluating if we're truly not just reading or studying the Bible, but through our regular daily practice of being in Scripture, engaging the person of God. We can determine, Solomon is saying, the depth of our relationship with the Lord, the fruit of being in conversation with the scriptures by asking ourselves, in what way is the word of God goading me? In what way is the word of God goading me? That Kairos card in your bulletin, just another way of asking that question. In what way is the Lord calling me to correct my thoughts, my actions, to live or behave contrary to what I want, but absolutely what I need? And honestly, we need direction on a regular basis. We need to be grounded on a regular basis. And if you're not feeling that sort of direction in your life, if you're not feeling very grounded, I say this all the time, coincidence? If you're not in regular relationship with God and his word, I think not. If you're in that relationship, remembering your creator, hearing the word that he has, engaging the spirit as you engage scripture, that relationship, you will find more direction in your life. You will find, you will feel more grounded, more sense of security in the midst of everything else that's going on around you. Sometimes, though, we're tempted, aren't we? Sometimes we're tempted, though, to look beyond the wisdom of God. Isn't it interesting that we're often tempted to look beyond the wisdom of God when we don't like what God is saying to us? Does anyone else notice that? God's word is true until we don't like what God's saying. And then we're tempted to look beyond the wisdom of God. We're doing a lot of that these days. But Solomon, again, cautions us on this too. Do you see it? When he says, my son, my daughter, beware of anything in addition to the wisdom of God. Of making many books, Solomon writes, there is no end and much study wearies the body. Solomon is saying, look, read books. Books are great. And keep on writing books. They're awesome. And study. You should study. Study is great, but you'll get tired. But what Solomon is saying is, just don't make the mistake of confusing knowledge with wisdom. Don't confuse knowledge with wisdom. We can't confuse being full of knowledge with being full of wisdom. And we are at a time when we are all ages full of knowledge because we have access to knowledge at our fingertips. We can press a button and ask Suri anything. We've got lots of knowledge. But do we have lots of wisdom? You see, 
Knowledge alone is not enough because knowledge is just information. Knowledge is just information unless it is put into practice, lived out. And still, knowledge is only wisdom. Knowledge is only wisdom when it's put into practice and proves itself in being lived out as good, right, and true. So we have lots of knowledge, but that's just lots of information. What are we living out? And what we're living out, is it proving itself to be good, right, and true? We need to choose wisely the words by which we are shaped. And what Solomon is saying is what God has revealed in his word is enough. Yes, we need to read it and interpret it together, but we cannot add to it. There is no need, Solomon says, to go beyond what the Lord has provided. Beloved, what words are shaping your life? And are you continually, there's so many words coming at us, measuring those words against the word of God? Rather than putting the word of God alongside all the other words that come at us. The word of God is the lens. That's why Solomon's word to us is keep the commandments of God. Be in that relationship with God. Worship and obey God. Remember your creator in your youth. Keep the commandments of God. But here's the rub. And maybe you saw it coming. Maybe you didn't. Here's the rub. It's, it's this tension that's been all throughout Ecclesiastes. Have you felt it? It's what Solomon senses through all his reflections, but he cannot reconcile because he can't, get, get, can't see what's coming. It's, it's where the pokes and prods of the wisdom of the Lord ultimately lead us. Yes, fear God, keep his commandments. We're poked, we're prodded. We try to stay anchored in the truth of our relationship with God. But what, the conclusion we continually come to, which Solomon has said again and again, is we can't keep the commandments of God. None of us can. On our own, we cannot worship and obey God fully and completely. It goes back to what John said very honestly. Well, we're trying but the wisdom of God revealed through the law shows us, in fact, how fallen, how far we've fallen, and we can't get up. What it shows us, what Solomon says is, no amount of reform, no earnest good intentions, no promises to do better will enable us to be the people we are called to be in relationship with God and in relationship with each other. The wisdom derived from trying to keep the law makes it clear the pain, the oppression, the suffering and evil that Solomon talks about that we experience in this world, it's not a matter of, a, of bad people doing bad things, some kind of problem that we just might fix by making bad people good. And many of us, that's, the, that's our simplistic solution. We just need to make bad people into good people. If it was that simple, wouldn't things have changed by now? Do we really think that we're just still lacking with how to make, how to teach, how to, the information we need to make bad people into good people? Paul's the most honest in Scripture when he says, what I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I do. And Paul's openly saying, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't do it. And I know what I'm not supposed to do, but I do it anyway. And he's not saying that he's mentally challenged. He's not saying he's deficient. He's basically saying, I, I'm struggling I can't do it. 
The wisdom derived from trying to keep the law makes it clear that the pain, the oppression, the suffering, the evil, it's not a matter of bad people doing bad things that we just fix by making bad people good. No, our world is broken and it remains so because of a vast system of wickedness in which everyone participates. Everyone, all have fallen short of the glory of God and therefore only God can overcome it. I don't know if you're with me, so maybe this will do it. Beloved, what Solomon couldn't anticipate, the resolution that he was, he, you see him seeking in Ecclesiastes, but he can't get there, is the wisdom that comes from the law of God that leads into the greater wisdom of the gospel of God. The best Solomon can come up with is fear God and keep his commandments. But the good news is that we may forget our creator, but our creator doesn't ever forget us. The gospel is that we may not be able to fulfill the law, to be the people in relationship with God and with each other that we're created and called to be, but God will be the God he is in relationship with us and will in that lift us up to be the people we are called to be in relationship with each other. I said earlier, the Lord doesn't just want us to grow old. God, our Father's desire is for us to grow up into relationship with him. And that desire for us to grow in relationship with him is fulfilled through God coming to us through the person of Jesus Christ. What Solomon couldn't anticipate is the good news that we may not be able to fulfill the commandments of God, but in Christ, the purpose for which the law was given is accomplished. Jesus is the only one who has ever worshiped and obeyed God perfectly. That's why we follow him. That's why we look to him. Because Jesus is not just the word of God made flesh. Christ is the wisdom of God made flesh. The wisdom of God personified. And so we look to Jesus. We follow him. We rely upon him to live wisely, to live rightly, to love God and to love our neighbor and to find our true purpose and to find real joy and to discover lasting peace in this life and the next. We come to the end of Ecclesiastes. And as we come to the, the end of Ecclesiastes, the truth is not that nothing matters. The truth is not that nothing matters. As we come to the end of Ecclesiastes, the truth is everything does. Everything does. We live more and more in a world increasingly divided between two camps, and this gap seems to get bigger and bigger in our time. We live in a world increasingly divided in two camps, those who believe in God's sovereignty and providence and those who reject it. Those who embrace the wisdom of the revelation of Scripture and those who choose to indulge in folly, to live as if God doesn't exist and to act as if there are no consequences for anything. Beloved, Solomon is speaking to us in the midst of a widening gap. 
Solomon is speaking to us as many still continue to search for meaning and long for significance. Solomon is speaking to us as the pursuit of happiness remains in full force. Solomon is speaking to us as the quest for fulfillment for so many goes unanswered. And Solomon says, I have made my case. Unbelief and indifference have been stacked up against a life lived by faith. All three have been measured, weighed, and revealed for what they offer. And Solomon is saying to us, the evidence demands a verdict. There can be no more standing on the sidelines. There can be no more sitting in the pews. Solomon's reflections beckon us to make a decision. What are we living for? What are we living for? Does it matter? Does it matter? Who are you living for? Who are you living for? What will the testimony of your life be? Your legacy will be debated and forgotten. What will the testimony of your life be? Beloved, how many of us today, how many of us through this journey through Ecclesiastes find ourselves at that place where all of a sudden life has moved far more quickly than we were anticipating? I've confessed that to you. My daughter is going to college. I'm 45. I feel old. And I have people who come up to me, first service, this service, oh, 45, you're not old. And maybe you're right. But I feel old, and maybe when I'm your age, whatever age it is, I'm gonna go, man, I was young when I'm 45. Don't you see? Don't you get it? Don't you understand what Solomon is tapping into? We just keep, what's the definition of insanity? We keep doing the same things and expect different results. What age do you have to be where you're finally gonna get it? Where you're finally gonna get it? That you're not invincible, that you're going to die, that your life, all the things you're working for and accumulating amount to squat that all you have going for you, all that you have is God. That's it. He's the only one who can make, because he brought you into this world. He fearfully and wonderfully made you. He's the one who has your future assured. Apart from him, you're gone. You're dust. We sit here today and we have to ask as the days have flown by, as they keep flying by, whatever age you are, 12, 18, 25, 36, 45, 56, whatever, whatever age doesn't matter. Have you remembered your creator? This is the most basic question we ask in the church, but I'm finding more and more it's still the really the only question. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior. Don't tell me you're a Christian. Is Jesus your Lord? Or are you still the Lord of your life and Jesus just blesses you every now and again or ticks you off? Is Jesus your Savior? Do you depend upon him for your life to have meaning and purpose? Or are you still trying to be a self-made person? Is Jesus just your lifeguard? When the water gets too deep, he comes and brings you back to shore and you don't go, you know what, I'm sticking with you, Jesus, because otherwise I'm gonna drown. No, you go, thanks, I feel better now, I'm gonna go back. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? 
Do we have more than the knowledge of Jesus? I look around this room. I know many of you well. Others, a little bit different, more, less. But one thing I know, I look around this room, we all have a lot of knowledge about Jesus. Knowledge is great. But knowledge is just information. Are we embracing, are we following the wisdom of God, the word made flesh in Jesus Christ? Don't tell me what you know about Jesus. Tell me how you're following Jesus. Tell me how you are seeking to let Jesus be revealed through you. Because that is what matters. My friends, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm passionate because of my own stuff. Maybe I'm passionate. I got a great kid, but my daughter's about to go to college and everyone's telling me, oh, that's it, man. She's gonna change. Maybe I'm giving into fear this morning. I don't know. And if it is, I claim faith. The faith that God gives us through Solomon that a life built apart from God is a series of dead ends. A series of dead ends. Can we benefit from the wisdom of Solomon? Can we walk away after this season, this summer? Can we benefit from the wisdom of Solomon and no longer take the dead ends? I look at some younger faces in here and I'm begging you, don't go down that dead end. Don't. Learn. Remember your creator. Can we not take the dead ends, the roads that go nowhere? Can we instead, together, Move forward obediently and responsively towards the Lord of life, the Lord of death and eternity. Can we together realize that when all has been said and done, our life under the sun is all there is. Our life under the sun is all there is only when we refuse to re accept and receive the life we have been given under the sun. What you're doing, where you are, it only matters if Jesus is in it. Where you are going, what you are looking towards will only be realized if Jesus is in it. Because what Solomon could not see, but Jesus, I think in this moment, I, I'm never gonna hear this verse the same again. I'm gonna always hear it in concert with Solomon and Ecclesiastes. That moment when the disciples who've been following Jesus for three years, three years, three years, lots of information, lots of knowledge, but they're struggling. And they're struggling. You remember, you know, we don't even know where you're going. We don't know if we knew where you're going. We follow the whole conversation in John. And Jesus finally says, guys, this is it. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Beloved, let us embrace the relationship that God wants to have with us through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for life. Thank you for life. We don't take it for granted. We, take, we, we hear your word and we repeat it. This is the day that you have made and we will rejoice and be glad in it because if we have today, we have life. Thank you for giving us lives that matter. 
Thank you for the wisdom of Scripture, the wisdom of your Scriptures made flesh in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that through your, your law and your gospel, your commandments, your Son, Jesus, you goad us for protection and inspiration, that you ground us in what is real, good, and true. Thank you for the gift of faith that saves us from our sin and the gift of faith that works in our lives, making us more like you. We thank you, Father, that we are not left ignorant or foolish, but we have received in Christ a revelation of who you are and what you desire of us as your children. May you be glorified, Father as we keep our eyes on and follow Jesus, as we remember you, our creator, all the days of our life. And all God's people said, amen.